Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 17. On Thursday, I went to the uh, memorial service of a dear man of God. He was instrumental in starting what is now Christ Fellowship, used to be Nooksack Valley Baptist in Everson. A man who really just used his whole life from the time he got saved to serve the Lord, whether it was uh, in his family or in the church, uh, in the, the broader Christian community, and, and really left a great example. His, his grandchildren were in our youth ministry when we were over there, and it occurred to me that while, while I was there, as I was thinking about him and the legacy he left, he was the person, more than anyone, who was instrumental in starting that church and I, there really hadn't dawned on me before how much that church had impacted us, just being there and serving together with those people. And, and uh, so his faithfulness really impacted me, and I hadn't thought about that before. Um, that was Thursday afternoon, and of course earlier in the week, uh, Chris Ramey's dad had died, and uh, Thursday night, Hugh Pottle died uh, unexpectedly. And... Um, with all that thinking about eternity, I just felt like it would be a good day to step back from the challenging ground we've been covering in 1 Corinthians and just consider some things about eternity and our Savior. And so I want to do that from John chapter 17 today. I'm going to focus in on just a few verses, but I want to read parts of the chapter so you can get the, get the feel of this, uh, this great prayer that Christ gives. John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Down to verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world. might even be better to say I'm not going to be here much longer. But these, the apostles, they're in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep, through your name, those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be filled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now down to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, not just the apostles, but I pray for all of those who will believe in me through their word. That's you, and that's me. I pray for all who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire 
that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. I want to focus on just verses 24 through 25 and think about this incredible prayer of Christ and think, first of all, about Christ's generous love for us. Look again at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Now remember, Christ was praying specifically about the apostles and all of those who would believe through the truth that those apostles would communicate. And so that's us. And and I hope you notice that he's not just saying, Father, make sure my followers get to heaven someday. He says, Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. I want them to be with me. I love this thought. Uh, It's kind of an extended quote from J.B. Phillips. There in the darkness on the road to Gethsemane, Jesus was surrounded by a group of men at whom this world's great people would not have looked twice. Unlearned and ignorant men was their opinion of them. They were not polished or cultured members of the social elite. They were not successful financiers controlling commercial empires. They were not the intellectuals of their day. They were not of noble descent. They were not powerful members of the ruling establishment. They wore homespun peasant clothes. They were fishermen folk from the north speaking the native Aramaic with a thick country accent. They were a motley group, typical of the majority of those down through the ages who have given their hearts to Christ. They barely understood much of what he had said. They would run away at the first sign of serious trouble. Yet Jesus prayed... Father, I will that they be with me where I am, and not they only, but us. That was his desire. That was his last I will in the prayer. That brings an entirely fresh and wonderful layer of meaning to these familiar words. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I I don't know if you've thought of Christ as the guy who died for your sins, and he's going to make sure I get to heaven, and maybe you've thought about him kind of at a distance. But he doesn't think of you that way. He he thinks of you as the people he died for, the people that he loves so much that he died for you, and he wants to be with you in eternity. I have a friend who, who loves this musical group. It's called Celtic Woman. I think this is the one he particularly loves. Now, he's a full grown, 
adult male. <laughs> His daughter loves this group also. They've, they went to see this group or to hear, you know, see the concert. And I don't know if they bought special passes or if everybody got to go backstage, but they went backstage and they got the autograph and they shook the hand and took the picture and all of that. Do you suppose that woman remembers my friend? Oh, yes, I remember so-and-so from Bellingham. He was just a wonderful man. Oh, I just, I just can't wait till we're in Seattle again and I can see him again. Not bloody likely. <laughs> but the God of the universe, Jesus, who Colossians 1 says is the creator and sustainer of all, he wants you to be with him in heaven. And he knows you by name. My sheep hear my voice. And they answer. They, call, we, they know me. I know them. And we are together. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. One commentator put it this way. It's not difficult to understand believers wanting to be with him. But it staggers the imagination to realize that he wants to be with us. Look at verse 24 again. It, it, it even goes beyond him wanting to be with us. Father, I desire that they may be with me where I am and that they may behold my glory which you have given me. That they may behold my glory. I would call this being face to face with Christ. Do you remember this episode from the life of Moses? So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. Moses said, I want to see you. He said, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. And then God said, I will make my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my backside, but my face shall not be seen. Now, be careful about getting super literal on this. But God was trying to express something to Moses that Moses couldn't understand. And of course, Moses couldn't see God face to face because his sins were not yet forgiven. He was a believer. His sins were covered by sacrifice, but he was not yet born again with his sins forgiven and a new life implanted so that he could see face to face. But God loved him so much that he wanted to honor this request. And so he said, I'm going to put you in a, in a place like this where there's a cleft in the rock and you're going to be in the middle and I'm going, to, I'm going to make my glory to pass by and after I've already moved by, I'm going to open you up just like the shutter on a camera so you just get a glimpse of the afterglow. And of course we know that what happened from that was Moses' face glowed so brightly that people couldn't stand to look at him. Moses couldn't see the glory of God 
because it wasn't time yet. But later, when Christ died, he made it possible that we could see the glory of God. And you say, well, what, what is the glory of God? What is that impact of the glory of God? Well, here's an, here's an example of the impact. In the future, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, will have no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God will illuminate it. The Lamb is its light. No sun, we can't imagine a world without a sun, and then the moon reflects the sun, of course, and all of the stars that give light. But there's coming a time when that, that light will pale in comparison to the unveiled glory of God. When Christ came to earth, he veiled that glory in a human body. Because if he had come in the glory of God, nobody could have even stood to be around him. The glory of God, the visible manifestation of God, is the full evidence of his righteous character. Moses wanted to see it, but he couldn't. He wasn't ready. Paul saw it. Do you remember he said, I was caught up to the third heaven, and I saw things that I can't even talk about. And it warmed his soul and motivated him for the rest of his ministry. Peter and James and John saw a taste of the glory when Christ took them up the mountain and and he, he pulled back that curtain just a little bit and they were overwhelmed with what they saw. We will get to see and experience that glory of God and it won't consume us and it won't overwhelm us. It will be the sunshine of our soul. There shall be no more curse, no more sin, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall see him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. I don't know what it will be like to be face to face with Christ. The contemporary song says, I can only imagine, and that's all we can do is just imagine But what I want you to focus on today is the fact that Christ says, I want that for you. I want you to be there and experience all that that is. When I read verse 24, I get a little bit of the feeling of Christmas Day from the perspective of the gift giver. You know, see, grandkids aren't here. My wife is always thinking about buying something for the grandkids. I, I got her one of those new wallets that has a chain. Goes into her pocket, but the chain goes onto my, onto my, so I can jerk it back every so often. <laughs> At least once a year, all the grandkids are in our house, Thanksgiving or Christmas, And well ahead of those dates, she is in the store getting new pajamas for them all. And on that first night, they all get their new pajamas. They're all, you know. And and she knows each kid, knows how to pick it out for them. And I think she enjoys it more than they do. (laughs) When you get to to certain stages in life, you you enjoy giving really more than receiving in many ways. It's, It's just really fun to do that. I think that's what Jesus is 
is he's praying here going, Oh, Father, I want them to be with me and to see my glory. He's so excited. He's looking and he's saying, Oh, they have to wait till the end of their life for that. But, but Father, make it happen. And you know what happens when Jesus prays? Exactly what he asked for. Exactly what he asked for. What makes this even more incredible is that Christ only has a simple requirement for us. Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. And, and when he says the world, he's saying the people in general. But I have known you. And these, those who are his followers, they know that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and I will declare it, that the love with with which you loved me may be in them, and I may be in them. The basis of our obtaining this experience, this wonder of heaven with Christ, is our knowledge of God. We could also put it this way, having a relationship with God, to know God. When Christ says of, her, of his followers, they have known that you sent me and they have known your name, it's another way to say that his followers know and believe the truth about God the Father and the person of Christ. Here's one of the summaries of that truth. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many places to live If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Anyone can come to the Father through me. Christ makes it clear and simple. I love simple instructions. It's clear, it's simple. Those who believe in Christ, who understand that He died for their sins, He is the way. I believe in Him and He gets me there. That makes it even more incredible. Not only does he have a place for us in heaven, but he's the one who's going to get us there. Well, how should we respond to that kind of love? We should respond, first of all, with faith. We should respond, first of all, with faith. Essentially, God wants us to return the love that's been extended to us. Um the newest addition to our family, little Titus, doesn't yet know what a great man I am. (laughs) He thinks I'm something unappealing. He looks at me and he kind of smiles and I kind of make a little thing, get my pen out, fool around. And then, you know, it looks like, looks like maybe, and put him in my hands, it takes about 15 seconds, and take him back, take him back. And maybe it's like breaking a horse, I don't know. But. 
How does it feel to you when you extend love and it isn't returned? Feels awful. Give somebody a gift and they go, mm, yeah, that's a gift. God has gone way beyond anything you can imagine to extend his love to us. And so the question is, how are you responding to that love? The first response that he wants is faith. The familiar verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is God reaching out and going far beyond anything we can imagine and sending his own son to pay for our sin. And so the, the response of love, first of all, is the response of faith. The only reasonable response to such generous love is to accept the gift by believing. And then the second response that God wants is the response of love. Our faith in Christ as Savior is a one-time response that causes us to be born-again children of God. As children of God, our response to his love is to be a growing love. L listen what Christ said. If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, yesterday at Andrew's wedding, I would say there was a fair amount of warm fuzzy going on. And, uh, you know, if you don't know, uh, they did not kiss until you may now kiss your bride. And he started making up for lost time. <laughs> and we often think of love that way. It's, it's some kind of a yearning. It's some kind of a warm affection. And, and that is the way it ought to be in a lot of circumstances. And it ought to be that way with God. But it starts with obedience. Christ said, do you love me? Keep my commandments. Um, we can look up to heaven and say, well, I love you, but I'm not going to do what you say. I'm not going to believe in you. I'm not going to obey you. But he defines love this way. And just in case his disciples didn't get it, uh, just a few verses later, he said it again. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. I don't know how you would define your love for God. I've... I've talked to people who said, oh, yes, I love God, and their life clearly doesn't show it. We want to think somehow that we have a relationship with God, and yet if, if obedience isn't the result of that relationship, the love isn't there. The love that God wants is this kind of love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's what God wants from us. I think it would be fair to say God wants that from us because that's what he gives to us. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Andrew and Andrea were enthralled with each other. C 
Christ is enthralled with you. Christ is enthralled with you. He uses the illustration of a husband and wife to illustrate his love for us in Ephesians chapter 5. The question I'd ask you today is, are you enthralled with him? Are you looking forward to face to face with Christ? If you're not, it would be our joy today to help you be ready for that. Let's pray. Father, mm, mm. I thank you for sending your son to die for us. Jesus, I thank you for your love that is so incredible, so over the top that I can't quite imagine it. You are anxiously awaiting our arrival in heaven for our sake and for your sake. We look forward to that day. Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts today. If there are some who are not enthralled with Christ, who are not ready to meet Christ face to face, I pray that you would speak to them today. Cause them to come in belief of their Savior. I pray in his name. Amen.